This is the Women Emerging Expedition Podcast, so you can follow the ups and downs and the roundabouts of the expedition and play your part in them. 24 women started on the 28th of May 2022 on this virtual expedition that will take nine months. We are women from across the world determined to find an approach to leadership that resonates with women. We'll be successful so that women the world over will be able to say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Julia Middleton, Expedition Leader. This is the second of two episodes that are about reconnecting mothering skills and leadership skills. I think right through the expedition, we've had this sense that there's been a disconnect between the two and that it doesn't make any sense. So last week, we interviewed Rachel and Myrna, who are both just out of really the first year of motherhood. And they talked a little bit about what they'd learnt about leadership during that first year. Myrna was fascinating because she particularly was (laughs) sort of concluded that you know, you learnt a lot about leadership from mothering, but actually you learnt an awful lot about mothering from leadership. It went both ways. This episode is sort of fast forward, and we're going to talk to Samia and to Sabah, Samia in the UK, Sabah in Egypt, about mothering teenagers and what you learn about leadership from the experience of mothering teenagers, the leadership lessons that you get. Samia it goes first. Samia is in public health. She's a scientist. And she listened to last week's podcast episode and picked up many of those lessons and agreed with them. So literally, we just sort of jumped into the conversation about teenagers. Samia, what have you learned? What have you found out? What do we learn with teenage children about leadership? Boys and girls, what do we learn? Boys and girls, really interesting because I'd never actually thought how transferable the skills were from being a mother to what I do at work. And and when you ask me the questions, I'm like, yeah, I do it all the time. Um, So I think I read somewhere and I was was doing a presentation on on public mental health that teenage children, their brains, especially the prefrontal cortex, which is uh, the bit that does all their reasoning, etc. When you're in your teenage and all the connections are being made in your brain and is still developing, it's almost like someone driving a car without a manual sort of thing. So that's what they're feeling. But as parents, we feel, oh my God, we need to be in control. Uh, we need to stop this disaster happening or that happening. And, and we try and lay down our boundaries. But what I've realized, um, and I think more so with my daughter, actually, than my sons, is that the key thing is, A, we need to let them make their own mistakes and let them walk on the path that they have chosen. We guide them, and but we can't change. Um, we can guide them. We can help them navigate but we can't steer the way from them. They've got to do that because the lesson they learn when they make the mistake is much more meaningful than us telling them you shouldn't do this or you should do this because for them, it justifies logic. You know, they want to do it. They think it's the right thing. And until they don't learn themselves, a bit about 
giving that autonomy to people, which is what I try to do as the leadership skill I bring into work as well as giving my team the autonomy to make decisions, knowing full well that there's a risk, but there's risks to everything and things may not work out. But the learning that comes from that is really good. And, and when the learning happens, I think as, as, a, as a mother, what I've learned is the worst thing you can do is to blame or shame your child. And that's exactly what you shouldn't do at work as well. So if, something's hap- if things happen, I always, when we're discussing, for example, at work, we're discussing um, uh, like having a debrief after a situation that we've dealt with or something. The three questions we normally ask in a debrief, I, it's really interesting how they're framed. The first one's very relatively straightforward, what went well? And rather than saying what didn't go well or what you didn't do well, what could have gone better? It's just that nuanced way of words, isn't it? So it's not, it's taking away any, any culture of blame or shame, which I think is hugely detrimental, both as a parent, as a mother, um, and as a leader in, in any work field that you are. And, and the third question is, what could you have done better? And that really, really helps because the minute you use the wrong words or something, you've damaged their self-esteem, whether it's your child or whether it's your colleague or whether it's your subordinate or, you know, anyone at work, you've, you've got to be very careful about doing that. So that, I think, is about is key, letting them walk their journey and being there to guide them and to navigate them. But a lot of that you can only do, Julia, if you have got good communication skills. And and with children, you realise, and both with my sons and with my daughter, regular check-ins with them. Okay, it it, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. You know, how are you? How's the day been? Uh, You know, anything interesting? How was college? How was uni? They then begin to feel that it's it's a safe area. They can talk and only when they feel like talking. And there is a lot to be said about upskilling our communication skills and also upskilling our knowledge. For example, and I'll give you an example. With my children, they use all of these emojis and they use all of these slang or whatever they're called, GIFs and emojis and IDK. I'm like, I'm asking my daughter, what does that mean? I don't know. Oh, okay. I think we all know what LOL is or, you know, ROLF, rolling on the floor laughing, but there's so much that they use. So I'm I'm constantly upskilling my skills in order to be able to communicate with them because they use a totally different language. It's very alien to me because they, you know, they're so much more technological than we ever were. And sometimes I found out that if they don't want to talk, because you've got to read the room, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, you've got to read the room. If they don't want to talk, then maybe, you know, we have a family group chat and I'll put some things there because I know at least they'll be seen Sometimes I'll get a response, sometimes I won't, sometimes I have to push for a response. But that's life, that's work as well, you know. The little bit of pushing for a response is akin to mother's nagging. But I know when my mom used to nag, I used to hate it. And sometimes I think, oh no, oh no, I'm becoming her again. But our generation of parents was so, so different and we have had to evolve. I think I, I'm constantly evolving as a mother. So I have to constantly upskill 
And another thing I think, which which was very poignant, because when I read it, it's it's always stayed with me. It, it's actually a saying by one of um, one of the companions of, of our prophet in Islam. And his name is Ali. And uh, he was a very close companion. He went on to become one of the, the leaders of, of the Muslim community once the prophet died as well. He has this saying which, which says, do not treat your children like your generation because they're not. They're a different generation. And that's always stayed with me. The pressures that our children are facing are so much different. Uh, every age has its own pressures. Every generation has its own pressures. But the nature of the pressures and the circumstances and the environment uh, we live in has changed so much. So I think I've had to educate myself a lot. And that, that I think, is key because when you're in the workforce, you cannot stay stagnant. You've got to evolve uh, as someone in the workforce, whether you're a manager or a leader or just a colleague. You've got to evolve. You just can't stay with those fixed ideas and you've got to constantly sort of check and recheck yourself. Children see things from a very different lens than I think we do. Our lens gets very jaded. You know how as we grow up, we, uh, we get cataract physically in our lens? That's the eye. I, I think that's metaphorically true as well. As, as we as adults grow we do, our lens gets a bit jaded and our perspective on life is very jaded. So you need that fresh influx and that fresh perspective. So I check out things a lot with my kids. When I look at how I was, so even with all three of my children, I've changed as a mother, but how I was 20 years ago is very different from how I am now as, as a mother and what I've learned and key to that, I think, Julia, is they are all so different. They're individuals in their own rights. You cannot paint them with the same brush. Though. You just can't. So what works for one won't work for another. And especially when it comes to boys and girls. So, so girls, not being stereotypical, but just looking at my house. So my daughter will want to come and talk to me about every itchy-bitchy thing that's happening, you know, even when she knows I'm busy and I'm sort of doing but she just wants to just put it out there. Whereas my boys, I'll have to prize and probe and even get a few, no, not grunts, but words out of them, you know. Okay, so what else? <laughs> Anything else? Elaborate. But they're, they're so different. They may have different needs. They may have special needs, you know, all sorts. You learn to treat them as individuals in their own rights and you have to bring that lesson into your workplace it's a key leadership lesson you have to treat individuals as individuals you can't just think that something will work for everyone universally and when I line manage people I've had um, a variety of different people I've line managed I think that's one key skill I've brought I I need to try and understand them I need to try and build that trust and you build that trust with your children as well but you need to build that trust as leaders in the workplace. And then you need to be savvy enough to be able to say, okay, this is what works for them. This is what drives them. This is the no-no for them. So then you operate within those um, boundaries almost. Uh, and you learn that. You learn that. Do you think having teenage children forces you to rethink power and authority? Oh, yes. <laughs> it, it does. Anything you tell them to do, the first thing you get is why. And that why 
actually has made me think now because I can't fob them off it with something like because I said I do try that, that sometimes you know when I'm really fed up just like because I said so it doesn't work they need the logic for example I'll give you an example when I was growing up there were certain things you didn't do and you didn't understand why you did, you couldn't do them and I remember our generation of parents used to say well a is not the dumb thing b what will other people think so i grew grew up with quite a lot of that in 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 that cultural environment what will others think girls can't stay out late uh, late at night girls can't be seen doing this that dressing up in a certain way what will others think and i think it worked with me but when i tried that with my children and they've challenged me it's actually made me think yeah you know so what this is your life this is our life these are our values if others are going to think something you know either their opinion really matters to you and in that case they wouldn't think wrong but otherwise why not and that was a very hard lesson for me to learn Julia it was a very hard lesson because it was something that you just sort of grow up hearing and it's ingrained in you. Yeah, what would others think? You can't do this. This isn't right. You can't be seen doing this. But since my kids have challenged me, I have, I have learned. And how does that translate into your leadership? That translates into our leadership, not having to explain or justify yourself to everyone at work about certain things that you, you do. I think it's a bit about also about being open to learning new stuff all the time as i said earlier it's about upskilling ourselves and we constantly need to upskill ourselves as parents um i think we do it subconsciously a lot of the time but also upskilling ourselves in the work environment and as leaders as well to be able to understand the teams that you're working with and the environment you're working with and how you can push those boundaries in a sensible way where where they really ought to be pushed or challenged Thank you, thank you, Samia. That was really practical, transferable skills. Motherhood to leadership to us. We learnt a lot. One thing that absolutely is ringing in my head after our conversation is this is this concept that, that mothering teenagers makes you sort of carry on endlessly upskilling, modernising, seeing the world through different people's eyes and particularly different generations eyes and and preventing from preventing yourself from developing or the cataracts in your eyes that will blur your vision or at the very least delaying those cataracts developing in your eyes so that you are endlessly upskilling and modernizing powerful stuff and now over to saba who's sitting in cairo and I talked to her about when the changes in perspective happened through mothering. And of course, being Sabah, she immediately rewound to um, those early years and the very beginning of motherhood. And she talked about how, how motherhood changed her perspective so totally. Well, it starts from, from the minute you have children. Period. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you have to get out of your head and uh, that kind of focus on yourself and starting 
um, change your perspective. Start understanding that there are lives that are dependent on you, but they are not owned by you. So how can you really keep them alive, but give them all the space in the world to explore, make their own mistakes, you know, fall and stand up again, and just be there to support and to provide them with a safety net. It's like, you know, when you are jumping on the ropes in a circus, you just need the safety net because you you trust that someone would hold you if you, if you fall or fail. And mothering is not necessarily uh, something that women experience only if they have their own children. I think we play, we, we we find ourselves playing that role with with all others in our lives, depending on the extent which we want to get out of ourselves, out of our way to be there for others. And I think that's 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 part of our nature as givers um, of life. Being a woman, as simple as that, even if you're not physically you know if, if you don't physically give birth to a child being a mother of, of you know teenagers I remember how much I was adamant on me being there to teach them and I realized when I became more honest with myself and reflect though because you know sometimes you're so busy to reflect but you have to do that because you start realizing that you're learning from them way more than you're teaching them you're learning how to be humble you're learning how to say, I don't know when you don't know. Because the worst thing you can do to them is to try to act as if you know at all. You learn how you can be vulnerable. You can show them the human side of you. Because, you know, you're not a machine. You're a human being. And sometimes you get tired and sometimes you don't want to talk. And sometimes you want space for yourself. So all those things are things I really had to learn to do better. And sometimes the learning... I wouldn't at all say that I was smart enough to learn all these things by myself. It was, it, this was inspired by comments and critiques given to, given to me by my children, by my two boys. I think one thing that I did well, and I you know, tapped myself on the shoulder and say, well done, is that I always made it clear that we have space to express ourselves. So even when they're not happy with my performance, they don't shy away from saying it as it is. And, and there were so many incidents where they said, Mom, why are you pretending that you're okay? I remember my, my, my younger one telling me once I was working in a refugee camp and I was moving between home where everything is available, we're warm, you know, we have food in the fridge and what have you, and the refugee camp where things were really, really harsh. And I had to wear my mother face before, you know, walking into the house and start interacting with them. And he said, why do you have to always pretend that you are okay? It is okay not to be okay. And although I read it so many times in so many books, but I never heard it saying, you know, being said to me by my child. And that was a very important lesson for me. So instead of trying to hide my truth, hide my feelings, I started openly talking to them about things. And that's something that I now take naturally to the boardroom or to, you know, my team. When things are not okay, it is okay to say, that, you know what, today is not a good day or I'm not doing this well or I'm not coping because that's what leadership is all about. It's not about knowing it all. It's about knowing when you don't know and allow others to shine and to bring their knowledge to you, bring their knowledge to the table. So humility and that kind of honest self-reflection is very key. And I think it was practiced both with my kids and then I tried to adopt and adapt that and make it look quote-unquote professional and take it to the meeting room with my team.
the number of times that kids came home and said, Mom, um, I didn't do well today. I had an exam. I didn't do well. I was like, okay, fine. We can't change the result. You haven't done well. You failed, whatever. Why? The questions were difficult. Were they out of the textbook? No, they weren't. Okay, so the questions were from the textbook. Why did we really, why weren't you able to answer that? Uh, we weren't given enough time to um, study. So, and, and it's certainly, it was something else. It wasn't my responsibility. And then all you can do is not to say, no, you're wrong. You did not study. You did not manage your time. You can just keep probing them until they get to the bottom line. Because until they realize that, you know, they could have done better, there are things that can be amended, changed, or fixed, they will not own that mistake, learn from it, and try to avoid it in the future. And I don't see that any different from your daily interaction with your staff. Well, there is a bit of a difference, isn't there? Because with your kids, you sort of, you're in this for life. Um however tough or hard or difficult it becomes. With um, leading at work, there comes a point where you have to say, this isn't working. It's very true, but I think the only way to lead with absolute love and care is to lead as if you're stuck with these folks forever. Because you know what? Yes, you may reach a point where it's not working and you let go, but whatever you do with them, whatever mentoring, coaching, support you provide, will stay with them forever. So you have to take your responsibility as a leader that you are part of their journey. And whatever good or bad you lead them with might affect them for the rest of that journey. And I think that's it. I feel, I take it very personal when I fail to help one of my colleagues, one of my team members to flourish and, and, and grow. So yes, you can look at it that you know what? If, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Or you take responsibility of wanting to help others to make it work. Do you ever find, let's turn it round, do you ever find, and certainly I have, that you take too much of those mothering skills into work? Yes. With your boys, you try to be, you know, loving, fair and firm. With the staff, I try, I try to be fair, firm, with love. And, and the order of words matter a lot because you know what, as you rightly say, I'm dealing with professional adults who are responsible for their behavior. I can mentor, coach, hold hand, demonstrate, show, you know, learn by doing whatever. I can do all the professional tricks. But at the end of the day, if you really want people to succeed, you cannot overlove them. And you have to be fair and firm. And you have to offer them all the opportunities to learn. At the end of the day, we are responsible for our own actions. And that's part of leadership as well. You know, you, you can care, but overcaring sometimes may hinder the ability of certain individuals from growing. And to be honest with you, even with your kids, particularly when they're te teenagers, one being overprotective or overloving may, may lead to blindness. So it's it's a very thin line, you know, and I think both roles require very similar kind of skills <laughs> you know one of the things that that makes me laugh is um when people use the word well if you if you, if you ask people to do word association with mothering you come up with loving and warmth and support and 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 
And no one ever says, and fierce, and demanding, and brutal, and driven. But mothering skills are also immensely fierce sometimes, aren't they? Just as leadership are, is too. Absolutely. Sometimes you have to be harsh. And you have to put your heart aside. Like, you know, when you are, the disciplining role that you play requires consistency. You need to know that you cannot be angry simply because you're feeling like it, you know, or you, you cannot be, you know, the invention of the naughty chair, something that I had to come up with an equivalence of, and that was like called the thinking corner and asking the child to go and sit in that thinking corner and think about their action and why isn't it pleasant and what can be done to fix it took a, little, a lot of discipline. And it, it used to break my heart, you know, seeing them standing or sitting there and just, you know, with tears coming down and they're begging. And they say, I don't want to be here. I haven't done anything wrong. So no, 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 you have to take your time, time off, go think about it. And the whole shift in paradigm from the naughty chair when I was growing up and the way we were treated, because you are naughty and you're going to be sent to the naughty chair, to the time we came where there was that evolution on, on addressing the exact same wrong behavior and saying, no, it's not a punishment, it's time out. Go think about what you have done. It's your action, not you. And I can't remember the number of times I just wanted to run to them and hug them. You know that this is their only chance to learn how to take responsibility, how to think and reflect how to separate between themselves, the unconditionally loved beings, and the wrong actions, which will continue to happen. We, we, that's who we are. That's the beauty. We're perfect because of our imperfection. And they need to know that they are perfectly loved, but the imperfect action can be fixed. That's the same with staff. You know, sometimes you, know, it, you can do better. This is not acceptable. You can do better. I know that you can do better. So consider this, consider that. Go away, rethink your proposal, whatever you're working on. And let's have this discussion tomorrow. And when I do that, like now with the staff, where you're trying to nudge them, saying, no, you know, your, your, your sense of self-respect should not allow you to do a mediocre job. You can do better than that. A, it needs, or it takes a lot of, a lot from you to say, I know what you're capable of, to trust that they're truly capable of, you're not just pushing them off the edge to fail. No, you know that they are capable of much better. Be patient and not go, you know, this is wrong and hold a red pen as if you are a teacher in a school and start fixing things for people. And allow them to try to reflect. How is that different from mothering? Thank you, Saba. Listening to both you and Samia, it's hard to think how we lost the link between mothering and leadership. Having said that, wait a minute, did we lose it? <laughs> I don't know. Did we actually lose it? Or did we, or were we expected to start hiding it? That's what Rachel said last week, wasn't it? That, that being forced to hide the link between mothering and leadership to use Rachel's words last week, it was it's almost asking women to deny a whole piece of themselves, uh, a piece that that she she says has been probably the most life changing experience she's ever had, and in her view is ever likely to have. So, I don't know whether it's actually 
that we've lost the link or we've just been hiding it. Anyhow, I think Saba agrees with Rachel. Thank you, Saba. Last word to Samia. We're made to believe that our lives are so compartmentalized and there are no similarities between those different compartments, but there is. And I think for you to become in sync with yourself and all the traits you bring to whichever role you play, you have to be able to zoom in into each of those boxes, but zoom out and look at yourself as a whole because you are the container of all those boxes. And I don't think that you can live dual or you know three personalities you can't be you can't pretend to be a great leader in the office when you are a horrible listener at home with your kids so that kind of being in sync with yourself is about being consistent in playing that leadership role but you're down to to love sometimes and you know focus more on respect and you do the opposite some other times Um, and that's the beauty of being a woman Thank you, Rachel, Myrna, Samia and Saba. These have been two glorious episodes that have brought back an awful lot of thinking for me. As you listen to this episode in particular, I shall be in Italy, on Lake Como, (laughs) not in the sun, in the winter, in February. No doubt with a lot of people very cold and annoyed (laughs) that we're not there in the summer. But I don't think we'll be annoyed about anything. We'll be so delighted to all be together, all 24 of us who've been on this expedition for over a year now, looking for the approach to leadership that resonates with women and we'll be bringing it all together. It's an extraordinary thought, quite extraordinary, challenging thought, terrifying thought. Bellagio finishes on the Saturday. Saturday the 18th. So let me bring our next live session forward. How about on Sunday the 19th of February, the day after our convening in Bellagio? How about I gather one or two of the members of the expedition who are still in Bellagio and we do a a glorious live session that afternoon, let's say five o'clock UK time, five o'clock UK time. That would be fantastic. Join us for that live session. So it's this Sunday, this Sunday, five o'clock UK time. Join us and ask us all those questions. I doubt we'll have answers. Our heads will be so confused. There's a French word. When your head becomes bourré, it's just so absolutely stuffed with so many things. Our heads will be bourré, but we will love talking to you and picking up all your questions. So join us. Join us for that live. Five o'clock UK time, 19th of February. Can't wait. Lots of love, Julia. To become part of our movement and share your thinking with us, subscribe to the podcast and join the Women Emerging group on our website at womenemerging.org. We love all of the messages you send us. Keep them coming.